So it was really just like a selfish way for me to get some like mentorship and guidance. And, and it ended up being this weird gap as far as Slack groups are concerned, where like everybody was really looking for it. You're listening to Create Community, and I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Martin Hawk. Martin is the head of talent at CoinSquare and the founder of the People People Group, which is a Slack group for HR, recruiting, and talent acquisition professionals. If you're looking to build an online community, you don't want to miss this episode. Martin and I talk about creating a community to scratch your own itch, defining community conduct and guidelines, and much, much more. Let's jump right into it. Martin, welcome to the Create Community podcast. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I want to get a better understanding of your early journey and how you became a community builder. So let's start from the very beginning. What was your childhood and upbringing like? That's a really serious question. (laughs) Boom. Hard dating questions. Um, So I was born in Toronto and we lived in Toronto until I was about five years old. Some crazy stuff happened right outside of our house as far as crime was concerned. I don't necessarily want to get into the details. My parents were like, we're moving to a smaller city. So we moved to Guelph and I lived in Guelph until I was 18 years old and dropped out of high school, which is a little bit crazy, I guess, and uh, started working at a, a rural hardware store. Wow. Okay. What age was that at? Where, which grade were you in when you dropped out? Dropped out in grade 10. Yeah. So like halfway through grade 10, I think it was like math class that was just irking me. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, no, not going to do this. The argument that I had with my parents was that, not the argument, but like the, the negotiation was that if I did homeschooling, they would be semi cool with it. I stopped doing homeschooling and then I'm like, I want to get paid for my time. And I ended up getting a job through the youth employment services. So like the YES program. And that's how I got my first job in in Guelph. But I know you later went on to study in university as well and do a certificate in HR. How did that journey sort of come about? The whole idea of going into HR and human resources, like there's a massive sort of transition from my career into HR and recruiting. And part of me just wanted to go back to school to say that I could do it. So I took a course, actually. It's a recruitment and selection course at the University of Toronto, just to say that I could complete it and go through it. And it was a good experience. I liked meeting all the people and it was very different from high school. What kind of attracted you to the topic? What made you choose to study that and pursue a career in HR down the line? I didn't necessarily choose it. I kind of fell into recruiting and a lot of the recruiters that I talked to... Is like this cliche saying, it's like you don't choose to become a recruiter, you just fall into it or it chooses you kind of thing, which seems like you could probably say that about any profession, but... No, but I feel like I hear that a lot with recruit, like any amazing recruiter that I've met, they've kind of had a similar journey where they were doing something totally different, came from like really unlikely circumstances to kind of jump into it, but they had that sort of passion for people or like a certain skill set that kind of drew them to it. I mean, the joke that I make with people is that like, I always wanted to be David Letterman when I was a kid. I always wanted to like interview people. I always wanted to make people laugh and I always wanted to like be on camera and recruiting is like the closest thing to that maybe it's not on camera but I get to learn about people's stories 
I get to learn about their history and I get to hear cool journeys and adventures that people have taken in, in their career and about their lives, really. And when you first started that career in recruiting, what industry were you in and how did you sort of make your way to the tech industry? So I was at a firm and the whole point of them bringing me on was like to continue recruiting for that industry, the industry that I'd spent like 10 years in which was industrial and construction supply. So it wasn't really anything too exciting. Like it's literally nuts and bolts and the stuff that you would use to build a building or the stuff you would use at a manufacturing plant. Um, so I was recruiting like sales managers and engineers. And then I went on, like I was always interested in technology. I was the first person like amongst all my friends and like amongst all my managers and superiors at work to get a Blackberry. And like, I'm always very much an early adopter and just interested in tech personally. And that was always kind of in the background. So when I got the opportunity to start my own business and run my own recruiting practice, I started knocking on the doors of tech companies and trying to like sell them my services. And nobody was really taking me seriously because they're like, have you ever recruited a developer before? I'm like, no, uh, I haven't. But I have worked on all these crazy, complex, difficult roles for the industrial space, those are tricky to hire for too. And people just didn't seem to like connect the dots. And I ended up reaching out to like sell my services to a company called Wrangle in the city. And they were like, yeah, we don't really want to use your services, but we are hiring a recruiter. So if we're willing to train you. And I was like banging my head against the wall trying to get tech business. I'm like, why don't I just give up on my thing and and learn from some great people? And, and that's what ended up happening. That's amazing. I, yeah, I think Wrangle is so well known and that must have been such an amazing place to jump into that sort of side of your career and to really like immerse yourself in the tech industry. What did you find most rewarding in that role and in like future roles that you've had? I mean, just the speed and tempo of a startup is very much aligned with my personality. And I'd never really worked at a startup. I've worked at small, really well-established companies that have been like 50 people, but around for like 20 years. But startups are like 50 people, but only been around for a year and the speed at which you need to do things and innovate and that, that get shit done mentality is, is really felt like home for me finally. And I think the, the biggest thing that I appreciated and learned at Wrangle was just having the opportunity to work with really awesome people. Now as head of talent at CoinSquare, is that something that you're sort of giving back now to new recruiters within the company or within the industry? That's kind of what I want to do. It feels weird to say like, I want to give back. But had people not helped me along the way, we kind of like fast forwarded through a lot of things. But like at every one of those instances or every time I like stumbled, somebody outside of my friends and family was there not necessarily willing. Sometimes you kind of have to look for it or sometimes I had to kind of look for it, but somebody was always there to like help out. And there's key people or that I remember specifically, like had this person not said that thing, I might've given up or I might've stopped kind of trying to push further or given me a little bit of hope. So I do absolutely want to kind of give that back to other people. So when people message me on LinkedIn, it's like, I can't really do anything for this person. I at least try to give them something back, point them in a direction as opposed to ignoring their message or something. For sure. That's so key. (laughs) 
shifting gears now. So you're building an incredible community called the People People Group. Tell me a little bit more about what it is and what the inspiration was behind starting it. You said you're a community builder and that sounded really weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but thank you for that. And that's that's what it is. When I left Wrangle, I went to a company called Stack Adapt and they're a little bit smaller. And I was coming from a place where I had a team of recruiters like beside me and working alongside them. And it was a more established practice and Stack Adapt was hiring their first recruiter kind of thing. And Natalia, she's their um, director of people there right now. She'd done all the recruiting and she'd done all the HR and set up everything. And like to this day, I still don't know like how she did all those things really, really well. Like I wish I had her motivation and like insights, but she, she also, sometimes I would want to bounce ideas or I'd have situations with recruiting and like she wouldn't know, right? Um, it's a smaller organization and I didn't want to bug the CEO or I didn't want to bug other people with questions. So at times it sort of felt like I liked when I was at Wrangle where I could just be like, hey, I've got this situation with this candidate. What should I do? So I kind of just posted on LinkedIn and said, hey, I'm building a Slack group for recruiters and HR people just to like bounce ideas off of. So it was really just like a selfish way for me to get some like mentorship and guidance. And and it ended up being this weird gap as far as Slack groups are concerned, where like everybody was really looking for it. So 50 people responded on the LinkedIn message and like I just added them to the group one by one. I think I actually waited like a few weeks before I ended up doing anything with it. I'm like, I should do something with that post. <laughs> and then like ZJ Hadley joined the group. She was one of the first people to, to join the group. And she was like, I've been dying for something like this. I love this. I want to help you kind of build it and grow it. And she's been an incredible person to like help me build it and help me grow it along alongside it. And it was just people randomly asking questions and fast forward to two or three years later. And I think we've got 944 members in the group right now. So we're about to crack a thousand. And I haven't planned anything for the thousand person mark. And there's 15, 20 like really active channels. And there's just like all this awesome stuff going on with it. That's incredible. Congratulations on that growth and success. Going back to what you said, I think it's so funny how you mentioned that the way that you got into HR and recruiting, a lot of people kind of just randomly find themselves in that role. I think it's so similar with community building. I don't think there's any person that specifically set out and, you know, like went to school for community building. It's not really even a thing. I think the most successful communities are the ones that are really coming from an authentic need where you're kind of scratching your own itch, which is exactly what you did. With the People People group, before when you first started, it was really easy to join, right? Anybody from that LinkedIn yeah. post, you kind of added them. There was no bar to jump over. Yeah. <laughs> what does it look like now? I mean, I've taken a look at your form so that people have to fill in. There's also some amazing community guidelines that you have. How did you kind of transition from it being so open to filtering it a little bit more and curating it? I don't know that we have like a perfect answer for like the future, but we definitely went from like, oh, anybody can join to, okay, the quality of the conversations and the comfort level of people sharing information in the group kind of dropped when they realized just anybody could chime in and join. And it being like an HR and a people people group, we're really sensitive to the fact that we don't want to be exclusive, <laughs> right? So yeah, it's like sure. of all the people that are concerned with making sure people are feeling included, this is the weirdest group to be like an exclusive group. So I think one of the only rules that we had at the beginning when we sort of started creating a bit more of a bar is we had some experiences with like people that 
would benefit from being in the community, but from more from like a sales perspective where it's like, oh, there's a hundred HR people and I sell HR software. I'm going to go join this group and then message them all directly about trying to use my software. And we saw that happen a few times and we were like, that's a no. So <laughs> definitely a no. we started like filtering out and being a bit more selective. And then it got to the point where we're receiving multiple requests to add people per day. And it was just kind of getting overwhelming. And we said like, okay, well we need to like automate this process a little bit. So there were other great communities out there, the DesignX community group, there's like the community builders. um, And I was just kind of poking around and I saw what what other groups were doing. And we also needed just some guidelines on rules and like, okay, if you're going to be a part of this ecosystem, what standards do you have to like adhere to? So what are some examples of some of those rules and some of those filtering questions that you use to kind of get people into the community and allow people in there? The main thing is it's a self-run group in the sense that I don't have to police it very often. And we wanted everybody to be a like respectful, treat others how you wouldn't want to be treated. And like, we've had two instances where people were like, this person is really disrupting the group. They're not bringing value. They're actually bringing people down. Can you look into this kind of deal? So I would say that the other like more important things for the group is that we just get people to buy in. Like if you just join a group, And then there's no like, hey, I'm going to hold myself to this standard. There's a certain level of accountability. Um, The other thing was that we wanted people to give more than they took away from the group. That kind of solved the problem of like a vendor coming in. And like if the vendor provides good resources and chimes in on good conversations and provides value 10 times and then maybe asks for like a favor once in a blue moon, that's not a big deal for us. But if somebody just comes in and is like, hey, I'm hosting an event next week and that's the only time they've ever sort of chimed in it's not necessarily in value so just sort of like a reminder to like bring more value than you take no sales pitches is like a big one for us and we, we definitely talked about that we want to make sure that people are like being extremely confidential so if you have a work situation and it is a big group ask questions in a way that's not going to like necessarily single anyone out right for sure or even maybe asking one of the admins to kind of post anonymously on their behalf have you ever had people do that we got our first can you post a confidential question on my behalf two weeks ago and I'm literally writing the form so that people can ask anonymous questions in the group like this weekend so we just started running into that issue it's one of those things where you kind of have to learn as you go and kind of build that process creating those forms, creating those guidelines as you sort of see those instances come up. I don't think there's any community that has it all perfect right off the bat and has it all ready. That's kind of the beauty of building something like this. Mm. Within that community, so you put out a lot of really interesting content on there. There's great discussion. There's a lot of different channels that people can enter and participate in conversations in. How do you keep those conversations active and how do you actually foster that sense of community within there? I'm really grateful at the community itself. It sounds like really cliche. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> no, like, not at all. We wouldn't have been able to do this without all of you. And that's literally what it is. Like we're just dipping our toes into like the getting sponsored waters. So nobody's really getting paid for this. It's literally everybody just wants to help. Or like the people that find the Slack group have been looking for it and they want to be a part of a community where they can have those conversations. And I think if you're like, say, a salesperson, in theory, you could join a sales Slack group. But typically companies have like 
10, 15 salespeople kind of thing. So they already kind of have that community. And I think a lot of the tech startups in Toronto and just in general, if you're a startup, typically you don't really get an HR person until you hit 20 or 30 people. So everybody kind of feels like an island unto themselves. So I think the nature of the industry is what creates this constant flow of communication and questions. And it's just that people are passionate about what they do, that they end up answering and like feeding back into the community and providing to it. That totally makes sense. I mean, you created it and you're giving people that forum to really gain value from it. Do you see yourself ever creating an offline component to it? It's such an amazing online community, but is there an opportunity to branch out into events? Do you have any kind of vision for that? Yeah, I think the events piece is something I personally struggle with because nothing gives me more anxiety than like planning an event. Uh, My wife is slowly training me to be a good planner. And we've actually done a few events like ZJ. She she hosted a workshop on how to do proper land acknowledgements, which was really awesome. She found this great speaker. But there's so many HR events going on in the city that as we were sort of debating in this the last few months, it's like, what do we do next kind of thing? We've sort of tried to stray away from events specifically. Uh, I did talk to another community builder, Preet. Yeah, uh, we both also know. on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> And like literally everything Thing we've done has been basically copying Preet's sort of playbook and, and yeah. whatnot. So I want to <laughs> like a good one to copy. He's amazing. Yeah, the design of it is beautiful, so, and that's obviously because it's for designers. But <laughs> like, it's been really helpful to sort of see something like that and be like, oh, I want to, I want to do that, or that's really cool. I want to kind of copy that. And he sort of put a bug in my ear about maybe do a conference instead of just events. And I think that's kind of the way we want to take it. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, it's really similar with Fuck Up Nights. I've had a similar experience where the sky is truly the limit for Mm -hmm. a lot of communities. Like there's so many directions that you could take it in. You can focus just online. You could create an offline component. There's content. You could do a podcast about it. You can do fireside chats. There's no shortage of ideas. And Mm -hmm. I feel like all the time people are asking you like, what are you doing next? How are you growing it? What's on the horizon? What's your vision? And that can get really overwhelming overwhelming sometimes and it could almost blur your vision for what your community is all about and for anybody listening who like has a community right now and kind of feels pressured by these types of questions I think it's such a normal thing and it's something that I've I've kind of heard reflected from guests on this podcast other community builders um, that I've spoken to so it's kind of being able to really like realize like what's the core of what you're trying to do and really just focus on that before you sort of jump into too many things, but also like keeping an eye on the opportunities that are available. It does feel kind of weird for me to talk about my community in your presence, just because you <laughs> built up fuck up nights to be this incredible thing as well. So just to like pay homage to that, Thank homage you. to that, like it's <laughs> like for me getting into tech, I ended up going to like tech TO and that's turned into such a big thing in the city as well. And like, it's a way for people to kind of embrace new ideas and stuff like that. And I think you were talking about how people just fall into it, but five, six years or 10 years down the road, I think university and companies like Udemy should be like teaching people 
how to build communities because it's such an important thing. I think so too. I would love to see schools kind of start to integrate that. And I could totally see like practical courses being taught on it. I think we'll get there in a few years and that's going to be totally different. And there are going to be people in high school who are dreaming about being a community builder when they grow up and in their profession and really see it as something that's really feasible and accessible to to anyone really. Like you just have to have a passion for something and you have to be willing to kind of start. But I wanted to get your advice for people that are sort of in your shoes a few years ago who kind of have an itch that they want to scratch or thinking about starting an online community. What would be the first steps that you would recommend for somebody to take? The steps that I took that I didn't know I was taking like intentionally was to like really seek out a community in the first place. Because if a good community already exists with regards to what you're trying to build, I mean, it's quite possible that you could build another community beside that one that's very similar, but that's almost the antithesis of community in the sense that like, if something already exists that covers everything that you want to talk about, why not join the community then rather try to build another version of it? So for me, like anytime I tried to seek community in the recruitment and HR space, I ended up not finding anything or I always wanted to continue the conversation from, from like a meetup or like if I did go to an event, there wasn't any follow-up. It was sort of like, I met all these great people. Some of them connected with me on LinkedIn, but I really only met like 2% of all the people that ended up showing up there. And there's so many smart people in this room. So, I mean, I guess my, I'm kind of straying off the path here, but like, the, <laughs> it's all good. I think find out if the community exists already. Do your due diligence and like, does this exist already? I think it's similar advice if if you were trying to build a startup. Does the product already exist? I feel like we got lucky with the People People Group because we didn't know that there was this big gap with people wanting to have conversations with each other. And when you look back on it, hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, of course. I think it was similar in a way, like I also looked for it here. So I saw the community when I lived in Tel Aviv mm -hmm. and then I came back to Toronto and I was trying to find my next step, was looking for a new job job was not a good time for it. It was like I came back like late fall, was kind of like job searching through the holidays, was not having a lot of luck and just kind of felt like a failure myself because of that and just a few other things that were going on. And it just came from my own need where I just like I searched that up. It was not in Toronto. It was already in like Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, some smaller cities across Canada, but somehow not here. <laughs> and it was kind of the same thing. Like I didn't set out to kind of create this huge community. I, I thought that I would just try it out one event honestly I thought it would be like some of my friends would come out and we'll just like have this discussion but yeah. obviously over the years it's really morphed into something else but I think I took that same step of just like first checking if it existed my goal was really at first I didn't want to I I wasn't thinking that I'm going to start it. I wanted to just attend the event and be part of it, maybe see if I can volunteer on the team. But then something kind of clicked when I saw that it didn't exist and I saw that opportunity to just do it. That reminds me of what you said as far as being like authentic. I think that's probably one of the most important things is like, I mean, build a community for the sake of building a community. But if you don't genuinely care about it, I think that can go for anything too. Like if you're going to do something, you should probably be like really passionate about it or like you want to stay up to date on certain things. So like for me, I can't say that I have a passion for like literally every channel that exists in the people, people group, but like, boy, do I love 
going into the cool tech channel because for me that's, that's exciting, like what yeah. I'm really interested in is like okay what are other companies doing to try and improve the HR and recruiting process through technology even just in that channel like I just want to stay up to date with what's going on in this space and I can't be the only person that's doing that another question I had for you was you're working full time in a big company in a really busy role how do you balance running this community alongside that I've put a lot of time and effort on it during the weekend or in the evenings, but during the day, I try to keep a very focused like separation of, of church and state. It kind of has shown me that if you have a large group of people in a group, you can put an idea out there and that idea just kind of comes into to life just because there's enough people looking at that idea and that care about it. Uh, so I haven't had to do too much. I feel like organizing any event, it doesn't matter how many people are in the room, there's still so much of like the same process that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's amazing that it almost throughout the day, you're able to really just like trust it to sort of run itself. And when you're able to dedicate that time on the weekend to really improve it and be strategic about it and think about your vision. So shifting gears here a little bit again, I wanted to spend some time talking about your personal community. So to start off with, what communities are you part of? I do a lot. And like when my wife meets people, she sort of like categorized them as if they're not like direct friends that she's known for a really long time through my network. It's like, oh, those are just Martin's people. She just assumes that I, I meet random people and become friends with some of them sometimes. And she doesn't know how to categorize it. But like, I think the nature of being a recruiter is just learning about cool stuff about people. I don't have like an off switch where I say like, I'm not going to join any new cool things or I'm not going to be interested in any new other like things. If something's interesting, I'll want to like join and be a part of it or like at least have a pulse on what's going on. So like definitely I'm a part of Design X. Well, actually <laughs> I used to be a part of Design X and I'm not actually a designer. So I think I got kicked out or I lost the, lost the login, but I've gone to a bunch of fuck up nights. I'm the, the bits TO or business in the streets. I learned about that charity through being a part of the center for social innovation, which is another community that I joined when I ran my own business. It was like a socially conscious version of we work basically. Yeah. I know that recently you became a dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how has that changed the way that you view community and has that changed the groups that you're part of? I feel like, you know, the quote I'm going to make, do I? Yeah. It takes a village to raise a child. Yes. I, so I've learned about a completely different type of community through that experience. And Karina's parents, my wife, are like close by in the city. And like we dropped our little one off there this morning and they like love taking care of her. And if we didn't have that privilege and that opportunity, like we would have to pay someone money to like look after our kid and that's expensive. And, and it just makes me even more appreciative of community. So I'm sort of like tying those two dots together right now in my head. But I mean, as far as participating in the other communities and, and whatnot, I think because of technology and WhatsApp and Slack and Facebook and Messenger and all those like technologies, it's not hard to like have your finger on the pulse with regards to like what's going on in a community. I have definitely dialed back 
my engagement. I used to go to like all the events. I like going to those things. I'm not overly extroverted in the sense that like I walk into a room and I'm like saying hi to everybody, but I do like to like hang out at the back and talk to a few people one-on-one. That's definitely more my speed. And I haven't done as much of that. So like once I get fully adapted to being you know, a dad and I'm fully confident in like all that fun stuff. It's all about choosing the ones that are truly going to make the most impact and where you feel like you can bring the most value. And for sure. I mean, I think there's definitely seasons in everybody's life. Like sometimes you're hustling and you're at something like that every night. Other times your family is the focus. And I have a calendar appointment in my calendar (laughs) that, uh, that says like, be a good dad Monday to Friday from like, 5 p.m. to like 10 p.m. So I sort of like block it off because it's new for me, right? Yeah, and I know so you don't regardless, schedule other things, yeah. It's so easy for you come up to me like, oh, Martin, there's this cool event next week. Do you want to come up? I'm like, my instinct is to say yes. Like, I, I want to go. I want to check it out. When I go, like I live and die by my calendar. So like when I go to book it there, that's there. I'm like, oh, you should probably say no to this. That's a great tip to actually just block it off on your calendar. And when you're building your personal community, how do you actually go about choosing your people? Are there certain questions? qualities you look for, what actually attracts a friend to you? So my close friends, I've been close friends with since like elementary school. And I feel like that's a weird answer, but I also feel like if you grew up in a smaller town, it's kind of normal. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. How I choose the people, I feel like they choose me and it's just like, I'm drawn by people with really interesting stories and and who have like a lot of positive energy that sounds super cheesy as well but i think no i think that's a great way to kind of look at it and like if somebody's got like a negative attitude all the time or like it's almost like who i am self selects like it automatically happens like i'm either drawn to people or i'm not or there's people that i'm indifferent with like i would imagine i'm probably 90% indifferent with the world there's like kind of blah i'm like i like you there's nothing wrong da da da, da. there's 5% of the people like something about what you do just irks me and I don't know that we're going to get along together. And that kind of fascinates me from like a, well, what do I need to do to like see that person's perspective or, or understand why there's this like friction there. And there's like the other 5% of the spectrum where it's just like, I want to be that person's friend. And I don't know that there's any like similar qualities. I think, no, actually there are. It's like people that don't take themselves too seriously. Yes. That's super, so key. Yeah. Super drawn to, to folks like that. People that have gone through adversity and are willing to share that adversity up front, kind of similar to like fuck up nights, like that whole, I worry about going to too many fuck up nights because I imagine like I would probably want to be friends with everybody that shows up, but like people that are okay being vulnerable or like sharing something that they've gone through. Like I'm always fascinated and then I find myself sharing that and then you just form a closer connection to those folks. So like, yeah, I have trouble with closed-minded individuals or people that aren't willing to like very set in, in, in your ways and fascinated by them. But like also it would be difficult to like, I don't know. Yeah, to really like truly form a connection. Yeah. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. My last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does community mean to you? What kind of jumps to mind when you hear that word? Hmm. Having someone's back is the first thing that comes to mind. I don't know if that's like my, I'm not sure if that's the answer I would submit to the teacher at the end of the day, if it was like a project, but like the first thing that comes to mind is like having someone's back or knowing it's like crowd surfing. Like 
you jump off stage and you know that your community is going to be able to like, somebody's going to put up their hand and hold you up to make sure you don't fall on the ground. I love that. That's such a unique answer. And that totally <laughs> describes it. Um, Martin, thank you so much again for joining me. This Thanks was awesome. I had such a great time chatting with Martin, and I hope that you learned as much as I did from this episode. You can connect with Martin on LinkedIn by searching for Martin Hawk, and you can learn more about his community at thepeoplepeoplegroup.com. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.